Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we spice things up by exploring the culinary world. We welcome James Beard award-winning chef Selena Teo. She finally explains how a chef wins that award. And after winning the James Beard Award and opening her own restaurant, she was tapped to be on Food Network's Top Chef Masters. If you think balancing your home and work life is tough, try doing it when your restaurant's only been open six months, you're on a competitive cooking show, and you can only Skype with a four-year-old for weeks. She's a bourbon lover, an amazing chef, and a baseball fan, and the first chef we've had on the show. Follow her at Selena Teo on social media. If you're in the KC area, stop by the Belfry and try one of 250 different bourbons and the city's best burger. And follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, and sink your teeth into this episode with Chef Selena Teo. All right. Well, hey, I'm Selena Teo. I'm a chef, restaurant, bar owner in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, you are listening to Performance Anxiety. The whole show is yeah. you know, relaxed and supposed to make people laugh. So, Well, good, because I already poured myself a, a bourbon. Oh, nice. I I'm figured, so, I figured, see, what do you have? I have a dogfish dog head, head suddenly comfy. Oh. It is, it is an imperial cream ale brewed with apple juice, cinnamon, allspice, and vanilla beans. Nice. Yeah. It's, I tastes like that. Tastes like Christmas. It's. It's very spice forward, and so I I can't like just you know, down it. So it's a nice sipping beer for me. Yeah, let's see. What do I have? Where's mine? Wild Turkey Diamond Anniversary. Oh my gosh! I figured it was special. I just got it. I've never had it, so. Oh wow! You have to there tell me go. if it's good. I love bourbon. It is good. So yeah, bur- bourbon is my thing, and so my bar has three hundred and fifty whiskeys and. 200 of those are bourbons alone. Oh my God. I have to get there. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I would be there every day trying something new. I would. uh, And that's what you should do. If I was, man, if I was in, if I was in KC, I would definitely, but right now I'm watching my Nats blow a, you know, a two game lead in the world series. So unfortunately, oh my gosh, heartbreaking. Uh, So my daughter has a show tonight. Yes. uh, A Halloween show with her band. Okay. So that's why I was dropping her off at band practice, and then I've got to get her and then take her to her actual show that she has with a different band. And they're playing during Game 5 of the World Series, and the Chiefs are playing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I don't know how much attendance there will be at tonight's show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, so this, how old is she? Is it like a rock band, or is it a school band? Or? 13. Oh, cool. <laughs> She's 13. Yeah. Oh, nice. I got a, a 14, 15, and 16-year-old's. Oh man! And they're all in the school band, so yeah. What instrument did she yeah, play? So, uh, bass. Oh, nice. Bass, violin. She's been doing violin for nine years. Wow. Bass for a year and a half. Oh, that's She's awesome. in the uh, old school metal performance th- through School of Rock. Oh, nice. And so it's so great because she comes home. She's like, "I'm doing lead vocals and bass on Raining Blood." I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Slayer. Oh my. Yeah. I saw an ad the other day, and if I could get to this show, I think I would. I'm not a huge Slayer fan. I've always been more Megadeth myself, but uh-huh. Slayer is playing with Primus. I'm taking her to L.A. to see it. Oh my god, I would kill to <laughs> see that show. I'm like I said, yeah. I'm, I love They're Primus at the Forum. Oh yeah. my god, like she can't be a bass player and not see Primus. No, so. exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. That's that'd be like depriving her of water. 
Right. You can't do that. Yeah, and then I think June, Ozzy Osbourne and Megadeth are coming to the Sprint Center. Oh, Kansas wow. City, so. Man. So I guess, I guess uh, Mustaine's treatments have been going pretty well if he's, gonna, if he's playing already. I know. I guess so. I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, I can't even imagine. No, but throat cancer. If and If you're healing, you're healing. Yeah. I mean, I guess he knows his own body. I mean, he's beat it up enough. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so again, I wanted to thank you for, for coming on the show. You're the first chef I've had, and this is going to be a blast because I've watched your episodes of, of Top Chef and Iron Chef, and okay. it's just it was just so cool. I, it's um, and it was so random that that uh, we we ran it. Well, we didn't run into each other, but one of yeah. the, your employees was actually on the show a couple of weeks ago in Vast Robot Armies. So Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard it yet cuz that one uh that podcast dropped, right? Yeah, about two oh, I think two weeks ago, yeah. So that that one it was a blast because I had all three guys on, so it was just it was hard to keep it under control cuz those three guys just started breaking <laughs> each other's balls. So. Right. <laughs> I know them all. Oh, man, they, they were a blast and uh and yeah. I I want to apologize I had, you know, up front for the anal texts. That was a total accident. <laughs> that that was that was so funny. <laughs> that was total autocorrect. I really <laughs> don't do anal stuff on the show. I promise. I sent some pretty terrible autocorrect texts <laughs> myself. So totally, I totally understand. So for the listeners, I ended up texting uh, Chef Tio uh, to kind of introduce the show. And saying, trying to say, I almost always record in the evenings, and uh, one of those words, almost or always, uh, autocorrected to anal, and I don't, and I didn't check it before I sent it out to her, and she was a good sport and just laughed at it. So, so I appreciate that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, I want to find out more about how you got to where you are, and. How, when did you start cooking and how did, how did it become a profession? So let's start with the, at the beginning. So you, you start cooking at what age? Probably seven or eight. Oh. I was always watching uh, Julia Child reruns. Okay. And, and uh, some uh, Cajun chef and, oh, uh, like, you, know, like you know, Justin, Justin Wilson with the... Yes. With the... Uh, gingham shirt and the bully tie. Yes. Yeah, he's like, you put a little onion, a little garlic in there. That guy? Yeah. <laughs> I love exactly. him. Exactly. That guy. <laughs> so I would watch shows like that. I watched my fair share of, you know, Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny and stuff too. <laughs> but as a kid, I watched a lot of those shows. Yan Can Cook. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, and so I always, I always watched those and then always cooked at my house. And over the summer vacations, I would give my dad a grocery list of what I wanted. I think I remember I asked for a Holly Hobby oven, you know, not even the full-fledged Mac Daddy Easy Bake Oven. Right. I asked for the Holly Hobby oven. <laughs> uh, and he's like, why would you have that? There's an oven right there. So he showed me how to use the oven. Wow. Um, and so I just always cooked for real. I never did the make-believe stuff. Oh, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. And then I just – just always loved cooking for everybody. And I heard at one point you said you wanted to be a cook so that one of the women in your family knew how to cook. <laughs> yeah, my mom doesn't take too kindly that comment. <laughs> <laughs> like she literally never cooked. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I get my strong business sense and sense of self from her and confidence from her. 
that's entirely different thing. You know, when I was a little kid, she taught me how to look people in the eye and shake their hand with, you know, conviction. And so I learned other things from her and just did not happen to be cooking. Yeah. And and that's obviously helped you out in your career too, just as much as the cooking. Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. So you went to uh, Drexel and was that specifically for uh, a cooking type of, or a culinary type of career well, I feel like the bachelor degree was a non-negotiable in my family. Right. So um, I couldn't just go to culinary school because that was like, you can't just do that. Ah. Uh, and it wasn't as popular and widely available uh, then. So I just did the four-year degree, which was hotel restaurant management. And then I did a minor in business and psychology. Oh, okay. Okay. And then your I first joke, the psychology does the does me the best in this business. <laughs> I can imagine yeah, and, and we'll we'll touch on on the uh, the atmosphere in, in the kitchen in a little bit, but I want to find out your uh, your first real culinary job was at a Bennigan's, is that right? Yep. Oh, okay. I begged for it too. Really? Yeah, because I was a server, and they're like, "Well, you don't have any experience," and I said, "Well, you know how this works. If somebody's got to give me a break, right? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll never get experience." The kitchen manager said. All right. Well, you can start off in the pantry. So that's what I did. Oh man! So so Bennigan's is, is a and I don't because I don't know who knows this, but it's kind of like a like a Ruby Tuesdays. It's exactly they used to be all over the place and they've kind of dwindled over the years now. But yeah, how did you go from Bennigan's to working at the Ritz Carlton Philadelphia? <laughs> well, I feel like there's so something I, in between, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I, well, I worked at Cavanaugh's, so Cavanaugh's was like our. Uh, college bar. It was on Penn's campus, but it was a Drexel bar. Okay. And so you got to mesh up both students. So I worked at least 32 hours a week all through college um, there with the exception of my last term of my senior year. I begged my dad. I said, can I just feel like a student, like just one time where (laughs) I can go out with my friends on a Friday or Saturday. I don't have to work. So he obliged. So that was very kind. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> he paid Dad. all my bills my last term of school. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so I worked all through college at this place. So at during dinner time, this was like a longstanding 40-year-old restaurant okay. food during dinner time. And then it turned over to basically a college bar that sold 10-cent wings after 10 o'clock. Oh, okay. So I worked there all through college. But then, you know, I uh, after graduating with a bachelor's degree, I Went out and got my, you know, eight dollar an hour job at yeah. Ritz Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what were you what were you doing at that to start off with at the Ritz? Uh, at the Ritz, I started off as the breakfast cook, and then probably within two months, I was moved to dinner. Okay. So I worked dinners there, and then the kitchen was kind of set up there where the grill. Uh, it's one big standard hotel kitchen, right? So okay. Banquets behind you, and then there's the line for for this restaurant here and the line for this restaurant there, but you're all still in one kitchen. Okay. So I was working for the grill room, but the chef of the fine dining room was right next to me and always saw me and we all, everybody knew each other. And then eventually he asked for me to work on his line. So then I quickly moved there. And then within two years, I was made the, the sous chef for the chef of that grill room that I started off at. So wow. I went pretty quickly at the Ritz Carlton. That was fun. Was there a point where you you wanted to do more fine dining? You, you, starting off at Bennigan's, I mean, did you was that in your head to begin with that you wanted to do finer dining and, and better quality food than you know 
Bennigan's? Um, yeah, definitely. Well, so my first job ever was a bus girl at Tavis Hotel, which was had a fine dining room there. Okay. It was in a little town called Downingtown, which now is home to Victory Brewing. Oh, uh, nice. Which is great beer. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, but then Downingtown, nobody knew Downingtown. Um, so I worked at that hotel and I was a bus girl. And so I was always around fine dining and just like high level of service and, you know, uh, anticipating guests' expectations as a bus girl back when you could still smoke in restaurants. Yep. This is my favorite. <laughs> if I, if I like saw a person like go like this, I was like right over there and nice. I'd light their cigarette and that would get me five bucks. Oh, wow. Nice. Just lighting their cigarette for them. And then, um, <laughs> forget it. If they ask me for, you know, like, do you have a cigarette? I'd go buy a whole pack of cigarettes out of my own money, pack them, put them on a dish with a doily and light their <laughs> cigarette and that would get me 20 bucks. So I was oh, always wow. kind of like in the service industry, even from 14 years old, wow. just like anticipating guest needs and whatnot. So That's... I made like, I made even by today's standards, I would walk home with that much cash or tip outs for my servers or just from guests or whatever. When I was 14, it just came naturally to you then. Yeah. And even my mom said when I was in Montessori school, they were invited to a little French lunch. She'd ask me why you're buying cigarettes while you're in the Montessori school? No. no. (laughs) But we were like running around. She said, you were the only one running around. You were taking orders. You were serving the food. You were writing the check and giving them the bill (laughs) and everything. And so apparently I was running the restaurant even when I was like five. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. That is awesome. Just in my blood. <laughs> and then you you moved from Philadelphia to Florida. Was that was that a spur of the moment kind of thing, or it, you opened two restaurants in Walt Disney World, Spoodles and Citricos? Yeah. Now was that something that you were offered, or was, did you go down there just just hey, I got to try this? I had gone down there with my father. He was a kind of a Disney collector of their collectible stuff. Yeah. Right? So they had a convention there for those people. And so he took us down one time for those people, <laughs> and, uh, those people. And, uh, they, he said, Oh, you gotta, you have to see this restaurant. So apparently I did not know they had changed. We had gone to Walt Disney world when we were kids because my, I spent every summer with my grandparents in Venice, Florida. So oh, okay. Julian, who's my grandfather was the first name of my restaurant. Right. Right. Um, so having known Disney world from being a kid, they just have fast food all over the place. Yeah. But my dad said, oh, you have to see this restaurant. It's great. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever, dad. It's <laughs> <laughs> great food it's and Disney. fine dining at Walt Disney World. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, the elevator opens and we go to dinner at the California Grill, which in uh, – that was in 1995 or something. Okay. And uh, it turns out the chef of – that restaurant uh, worked for the Ritz Carlton too. And so we knew a bunch of mutual people. And so we chatted, he invited me back. He's like, you really should work here. Food and beverage has changed and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, so I basically, I sent him my resume and then they flew me down for interviews and whatnot. Wow. That is amazing. And, yeah. so, and you ended up running two restaurants. Um, yeah. So there's Spoodles, which sounds so Disney. It's yeah. um that was a Mediterranean <laughs> restaurant, and then Citricos yeah. was a French restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so, how old were you at this point? Twenty six. Jeez, twenty six. Yeah. And, and were you running both at the same time, or was one of a, prog- a progression from the other? They're, yeah, they're one right after the other. Okay. So I opened Citricos after Spoodles, and then um, 
And then I uh, was the task force chef for the uh, for Paolo on the MS Magic. So I got to live in Italy. In, uh, wow. It's not as romantic as it sounds, to be honest <laughs> with you. Live in Italy means I, I lived on a Greek ferry boat in a shipyard. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, it's not as romantic as it sounds. Yeah, it, um, although, if you said it, it in fun. Italian, I'm sure it would, it would be amazing. It would sound fantastic. Shipyard. Um, yeah. Uh, and so that was that was a great experience. But so that was two months that I was out in Italy doing that. And then uh, and then I was the chef at Narcusi's before I moved to Kansas City. Oh, was working for Disney in the, in the uh, food and beverage industry, was that different from working at the Ritz-Carlton? Was, there, was the atmosphere different? Because you know, Disney's just this big, fun place. And did that extend to working for them? Yeah. Uh, so I had a much probably a better experience than the average person. So on Disney's property, there's only at the time, there's only 13 specialty restaurants, right? So that okay. meant like the California grill, Spoodles, Citrico's, flying fish, a whole bunch of others, but there's only 13, whereas they had like 300 food operations or more. Wow. Right. Um, and so in the restaurants that I worked at, we had a lot more freedom, if you will, to do things. And that's when, you know, a certain guy, Dieter Hannig, was involved at the time. He was VP of food and beverage. He really like changed the culture of food. Okay. Um, and that's what really, really changed. And so he gave the chefs freedom. Um, but most people think, oh, it must be terrible. You know, you have to like submit your menus and get it approved. And by the time you get that done, it's like six months out. You have to do that. I printed my menus off in my office every day. Wow. And so, and also, you know, my GM, I would go to all of our, our, higher management meetings and go over our P&Ls and all that. And nobody would ever say anything to me because I had the lowest food costs, I had the highest profitability. My <laughs> labor cost was in line. So no, I actually had several BPs of the, not just of the resorts, but resorts and parks and everything ask how I had such high guest scores or cast scores mm -hmm. cast of the employees. Okay. Um, and, and numbers. So I had like all of that together, which I was able to do. Because I had the freedom to do it, but most—that's that was a not average uh, scenario at Disney World. Well, thanks, mom. We'll give that one to your mom. That's all exactly. That, that's all on your mother. All, <laughs> yep, all the business sense right there. Exactly. And then you decided to break free of Disney and move to Kansas City. Yep. How did that happen? You you opened a restaurant there. Was that? Did did you have a did you go there for a job and then open the restaurant or yeah. how did how I did that whole went thing? To, I took over the executive chef position of the American restaurant. Oh, okay, that was a restaurant that had been around at that time 30, 30 years. Maybe. Yeah, I've heard of it. And I had remember reading about that restaurant in Food and Wine magazine or Bon Appetit when I was you know a teenager. Yeah, because it had been around for so long. And uh, James Beard himself was a consultant on the opening of that restaurant. Oh, wow. In our world, you know, James Beard's a big deal. So I had always heard of the restaurant. And so I was like, well, I wasn't looking for a job, but why not? And so I sent a portfolio uh, out to them, which basically consisted of so my favorite part is I like color copied food pictures. I had color copies of letters that I'd gotten from Lee Cockerell. Michael Eisner, oh, wow. Dieter Hannig, all the vice presidents that like are known by everybody. Yeah, yeah. And sent that with my resume and all, and everything. So they just had it, and I bound it with um, butcher's twine. 
And my dad, <laughs> That's my awesome. dad was like, my dad was like, oh, that looks terrible. Oh, butcher's twine. I'm like, dad, I'm applying for a chef's job. They'll get it. <laughs> yeah, they'll get, they'll get the connection. Yeah, that's so, creative. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and then even color copies then were not even a like everybody did them kind of thing, right? Yeah, it was like I went out of my way. This is a whole thing. Yeah, you put some effort and, into uh, it. Yeah, and I was a little like uh, cocky about it because I know I sent it on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I sent it on a Thursday, and it's like Friday on the East Coast at like I don't know noon. And I uh, said to my now husband Ken, I'm like, man, they haven't called me. I would have called me by now. He's <laughs> like, it's not even lunchtime. <laughs> they might not have even gotten yeah. it. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Whatever. Li- literally within 15 minutes, they called and set up an interview, and wow, we flew me out and all that kind of stuff. Oh my god, I need people to start flying me out to interviews. Jeez. Yeah. That must be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you started working at the American restaurant. How long were you there for? Seven years. Okay. And was it a similar scenario where you had a lot of freedom to create your own menus? Yeah, but nobody ever told me to do anything, which is great. That's They a, just, you know, to be backed by a, a billion-dollar company because we were a third-tier subsidiary of Hallmark. Oh, okay. So ultimately, I was owned by the Halls. Um, it's, you know, they're a fantastic family. They put people in place that they, you know, trust and want them to be creative and do their thing, and, and they let you do it. Especially if you send your resume with butcher's twine. Right. <laughs> well, they obviously, like, they obviously thought you were creative and, and like you said, they, they trusted you. And it seems like all your employers have trusted you to come up with, you know, exciting menus and at the same time, keep your profit and loss in line. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with people's guest comments and, and your employees' comments. So what were... I guess they're like, what am I going to tell her? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, they didn't tell me anything. Make me loaf instead. Yeah. So, and that while you were there, uh, you won Chef of the Year in 2005 by Chef Magazine and James Beard Foundation's 2007 Best Chef Midwest. Yep. That's the James Beard. Where I don't know a whole lot about, I love watching stuff on Food Network and all that. And, and, uh, chef's table and the final table. I love all those types of shows. Yeah. And I've, I'm kind of familiar with what the James Beard award means and how, how, what it means to, to a chef. Um, but can you explain a little bit about why it means so much? Um, and, and what it means to you to win that? I guess the biggest thing is, you know, there's, I guess a lot of awards that maybe, I mean, I don't want to say maybe you can like, stuff the ballot box or, you know, those like even little local awards, Yeah, you know, you're doing a fundraiser and put the ticket in your favorite dish, all those kind of things, you yeah. know, you could do that. People nominate people. And then what happens is from all the nominations, they past winners and media food writers say, all right, these people deserve to be on the list or whatever. And I've never seen a situation where somebody didn't deserve to be on that list. You know, yeah. it's not like, uh, the the guy from Hot Wings plate yeah. ended up on there because he it's, stuffed the ballot box. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's not never like been a scenario like that. It's not like but, the Major League Baseball All Star Game, which is just a popularity contest. Right, 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 right. So everybody that's been on that list has always been obviously deserving of it. But then from there, they shorten that list, and then you go to the short list, and it's past winners uh, and media that pick 
who really belongs there. And then that's a list of five people. Wow. And from that five, the same people vote again. And so that's the most important thing. These are, these are your peers. These are people that you have hopefully cooked for, you know, so I had had dinners at the American restaurant multiple times and invited chefs. And I was invited to, you know, events all over the country and world um, to cook with other chefs. And so they then get to see firsthand your ability, your style, who you are as a chef or a person or whatever. So it does mean something when it, when it's the James Beard award, because it's, you know, the people that are picking the winners are the people that you, you highly respect and admire yourself. So are you notified when you're up for the award or are judges coming into the restaurant to eat like unannounced or are you inviting them in order to hopefully no. be nominated? No, so no judges actually go in. It's just people that nominate you say, I've had this chef's food. I've been to their restaurant. I know that they are capable or, or, or deserving of this award. Okay. They may not have ever been in there. Right. And the opportunity that they get to see you is at like food festivals and whatever fundraiser dinners for share our strength and whatnot that we do all the time. Okay. Uh, that's when they see your food, your style, taste your food and know you. So it, it definitely helps you out if you're active in the community too, then, cause you're going out and, sure. and, and exposing your food and, and your, your skill and where, where yep. some people can, Judges, possible judges can sample your, your food, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that just definitely is a big deal. And there was a year where, I mean, I probably was, did 24 events. Like, wow. Like, you know, I would be gone for three or four days for each pop. And oh, I was wow. doing some fundraiser and, you know, in Dallas for Share Our Strength. I was doing a beer dinner in New York City. I was doing something else in California. I was doing the. Wow. I've cooked for the Fortune Magazine Most, Most Powerful Women Summit, um, you know, wow. just a whole bunch of different events all the time. So, And all those chefs, one, it's the only opportunity we get to hang out together and uh, yeah. see each other. You know, sometimes it's like once every five years that we get to hang out and see each other. But Well, yeah, because your schedules must be crazy. Yeah. I mean, everybody travels. Everybody's in their restaurant, you know. Yeah, and you're working strange hours. And- yeah. Yep. So when you go to do these these events, is it something that's uh, backed by the restaurant, or is it something you have to do on your own? Uh, the usually the restaurant okay. takes care of it, but so then when you own your own restaurant, then yeah, <laughs> releases it out of your own pocket. <laughs> so, so after the James Beard Award win, I don't know that sounded awkward. Right, after you win the James Beard Award, you you open your own restaurant in Kansas City, Julian. Yeah. Was that? Yep. Was winning the award kind of the thing that really made you determined to open your own restaurant or was that really in the works from beforehand? Yeah, that's really when you want to just like ride the wave. I mean, I may have been uh, looking to do it prior to officially winning, um, but even having been nominated, you're already on this certain trajectory that you can either embrace it and ride it or just stay where you are, which yeah, I always say. Uh, great things don't happen if you don't put yourself in uncomfortable situations. So, I have seen you on some uh, some lecture circuits saying that. So yes, I love yeah. that. I absolutely yeah. love that because that's one of the reasons why I, I did this show is talking with people I have no idea about, giving sending them texts about anal stuff. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable situations <laughs> from time to time. All right, so you started your own restaurant. You had. At the other restaurants you worked at, you basically had f- complete freedom. 
did you do anything differently at Julian than at other restaurants where you, you were an employee and not the owner? Well, you have the same freedom, but I guess there's nothing. I don't want to say there's nothing challenging to that, but it's like there's no more of an uncomfortable situation than putting your own ass on the line and all your own money on the line. Yeah. Right. I didn't have any investors or anything. I had a dad loan and I maxed out all my own credit cards. So wow. that's about as uncomfortable as you can get. Yeah, I would agree. I maxed out my own credit cards. I didn't even open a restaurant. Man. <laughs> and around that same time, you're, you're opening a restaurant. You start doing things for the Food Network. You're on some comp- uh, yeah. competitions and, and some uh, shows that people might be familiar with, like Top Chef Masters and Iron Chef America and... How hard was that? How how long had the restaurant been open before you started doing that? Uh, Julian had only been open six months before wow. I got the call, and then I left for, you know, you you're gone as long as far as you go. And I was on every episode. I was final four on Next Iron Chef, so I was gone from the restaurant at a pretty crucial time for five and a half weeks. Wow! One it was a crucial time for my restaurant because we were still new. Yeah, And then I had to have like almost double staff to make sure everything went right. Oh my gosh. So I'm spending a shit ton of money making sure that's okay. Yeah. And on top of it, my daughter was only four. Oh. And so that sucked, you know? Wow. So I'd FaceTime her a lot and like towards the end, it was like, when are you coming home? <laughs> you know? I First like, first week it's like, hey, 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 we miss you. I love you. You know? And then yep. it's like, when are you coming home? I, you know. I, I went through that same thing when I lived in Alabama. My wife and I, had, uh, we had three kids. All three, uh, The youngest, uh, Maggie, I think, let's see, she wasn't even quite two. And I got a job in Virginia. And I had to be in Virginia training for six weeks. And I had to be away from everybody because we had to sell the house. And my wife had to pack everything up because oh. they offered me the position. And they're like, oh, training starts in two weeks. Oh, okay. And so we had to pack up and we did the same thing. You know, uh, we didn't have smartphones because at the time I couldn't afford it. This is like, so this is like 2006. And so, you know, phone calls, yeah. I'm, I'm living in a hotel for six weeks and, and you know, they're packing up an entire house with three kids and three toddlers. Cause they were, you know, one, two and three or two, three and four. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> so my wife is a saint. She's earned her way. Yeah. yeah, to the to heaven just for yeah. putting up with that. that. So, yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Although your pressure, the pressure on that must have been crazy. I've got uh, so many questions about doing these TV shows, and it's because every week is a new episode. Mm-hmm. Are you actually? Is it literally you shoot one episode one week and then you're sitting around, or do they shoot multiple episodes at a they time? Shoot all of them in one shot. Wow. So it took us five and a half weeks to film seven episodes. Oh my gosh. Next Iron Chef, that's how long the production was for that. And then on Top Chef Masters, I was also on seven episodes and that we did that. I did that in two weeks and a few days. Oh my gosh. Their schedule was like effing grueling. I can imagine. Top Chef Masters. Jeez. But like Top Chef Masters, like there was no makeup artist or anything. It's like you just came the way you were. Oh wow! <laughs> Iron Chef, there was a makeup artist and and everybody and you know every chef had. The, I mean, the production team was absolutely crazy. Like every chef, it started with ten, 
add a camera operator, an AC, a sound mixer. Then you had the boom. You had two makeup people. There's so many people. It was, wow. It was pretty impressive. And I always equated um, – I love – television movie production because it's exactly like it runs like a kitchen in the sense that uh it's a lot of people doing a lot of work to end up giving you a product that's only about this big somebody sure as hell going to give you their opinion on it when it's done (laughs) and it just turns out it just turns out that like instead of food for a chef the mise en place happens to be people it's all moving people around and getting it all to the right spot at the right time. And it's oh, wow. fascinating. It was a really great experience. So how is the pressure on um, being one on one of those shows different from owning your own restaurant and putting good quality food out every night? I mean, obviously the latter is, is more pressure, but the whole world isn't watching you do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it just depends on what kind of person you are. Either you're going to care or not care about that, but obviously – you know, I care. You want to do well and. And that'll help your restaurant in the end. Proud or whatever. Yeah. And it helps your restaurant in the end, you know, because you get oh, exposure. Yeah. So, and then if people yeah. look at your food and go, wow, that looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Let me go. When I'm in Kansas City, let me go check out Julian. I mean, somebody last night came in. He was came in for the Packers Chiefs game, but it was his birthday. And he said, I want to, I love, I watched you on every single show can we take a picture and so they're still coming in for that which is cool that's amazing see my wife and i love to do stuff like that because we live in the uh dc metro area and so you know we're fortunate enough to be within an hour's drive of you know every restaurant owned by the voltaggio brothers and when we lived in alabama we were well we were a few hours away but we got to go to richard blaze's restaurant uh Mm -hmm. flip burger and and all and so that's one thing. Guy. Oh yeah, I, I love it. And we haven't. Now I've never. We've never met him. He's never been at any of the restaurants. I've never met any of these people. They're never at the restaurants when we're there. So, or at least they're not poking their heads out and making a spectacle of themselves or anything. <laughs> but uh, but we do love going and trying the food based on what we saw on the competitions. So mm-hmm. we love. And if we, we travel, we're looking for that kind of stuff too. So so yeah. That's one of the uh, one of the things that I've always thought that was really cool about this competition is that it, it brings to light different areas of the country, you know, restaurants in different areas of the country and different types of cuisine. So yeah, let's let's talk about some ingredients and and I don't I'm not gonna we don't have to do you know Michael Simon plum jokes that's <laughs> that we don't have to worry about that. But I was wondering with all these shows that you've done, are there any ingredients that you just avoid now because of any of the shows? Like, you know, holy shit. I, I had to deal with this thing on uh, top chef masters. I forget it. I'm never messing with this ingredient ever again. Uh, no, actually. I mean, cause I actually had watch parties. So what was it on top chef masters? I had to do, did I do, Oh, I did crickets. Yeah. <laughs> I did crickets. <laughs> Not your uh, typical ingredient. I, I served crickets. Oh my gosh. Italian. I, so, yeah. How did that go I have over? the cutest video of my daughter eating the cricket, a video of it. So cute. <laughs> so she's you, like, she's only five years old. She's like, after she swallows it, so cute. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. And you obviously have no idea what the mystery ingredients or the mystery theme or whatever, whatever the focus of the competition is before you get onto the stage. 
how do you approach it once it's revealed? Is it, do you do you go through? Okay, well this this is a savory dish. This is going to be a sweet component. You know, is there? Is, do you have a checklist that you go through to to kind of sort things out in your head before you, you start cooking? Uh, well, fortunately, the reality is is you know you get to see the ingredient, and then all of a sudden you have to like stop and repo cameras and shit like that. So you do have a couple minutes to get your wits about you. Yeah. You already know what's in the pantry or whatever that's always there. So, right. I mean, that kind of helps the, the process. But, I mean, sometimes you just like – you just have to wing shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had that like – that Hormel deviled ham. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just – it was terrible. Yeah. But I served it with, like during the watch party. I served that dish at Julian and they're like, you have to put this on the brunch menu. It's so good. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> At that point, you oh. are you serious or just sycophantic? I know. But, <laughs> <it's all I laughs> but now, has there ever been an ingredient like I guess maybe like the crickets? You've been a, at a complete loss with, like, like it's something you've never tasted or never tried. Oh, uh, there's something I never tried. Because that's the one thing that always runs through my head is, is you know, if it, you take a look at like like episodes of Chopped and stuff, you know, they put some weird shit in those baskets. Oh my god, they do. And and you look at these <laughs> some of these chefs are like, I've never even I don't even know what this is. Is this a vegetable? Is it a fruit? Oh what the fuck this is? I mean so, it's, have you ever have has there been an instance of that in any of the competitions that you've been at and you had to just kinda wing it? I don't think they've ever given me something that I haven't tried. I mean I haven't I never specifically had moy fish that was an ingredient okay. on Iron Chef next Iron Chef. Yes. Um but I mean it's like, you know, you can describe it to me and I can look at it and kind of tell what the flavor profile is going to be, but right. I've never had that specific fish, but nothing I've never been like, no. Cause I, I know what you're talking about. I've seen other shows even on maybe the previous season of next iron chef where I'm like, uh, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Oh, and, and like I'll go and I'll go to my dad's for Sunday dinner a lot and he, he loves chopped. So we, we put on chopped and they'll come out. I swear to God. I, and, and tell me, I mean, I know you, I don't think you, you haven't been on chops, so. But uh-uh. my theory is that half of these ingredients are made specifically for this that stupid show because I don't know who the hell is <laughs> making like chili bacon ice cream and putting it in a basket. I mean, there, there's just weird. I saw one that was like a um, ice cream hamburger thing. It was like it was like a big ball of vanilla ice cream on top of a hamburger. Like, nobody makes that. That's something that they did specifically for the show. That, that can't no, be. No, I've some... never heard of such a thing. It's exactly. It's like half this crap that's in the basket has to be made specifically for the show just to screw with these guys' heads. So see what they should do is they say take all the components of a goober burger and remake the dish. The, what is it? Everybody knows a goober burger. It's a burger with peanut butter and banana and oh, honey. I think. Okay. Yeah. It was like. That's. I think is that what it's called goober burger. I don't. know. We've got a restaurant here locally in uh, Winchester. That makes one. Uh, they just call it the Fat Elvis. Well, that that was what it yep. is. Yeah, I think that was Elvis's burger. Yeah, maybe there's bacon on it too. Yeah, yeah, there may have been. I don't. Know, I I tried it. I actually kind of liked it. I'm gonna say, but <laughs> of course, I, right I'd now, down. right now, down. I'm I'm drinking an ale brewed with apple juice, cinnamon, allspice, <laughs> and vanilla beans. So, well, I try, I like weird shit. Have nope. Has there been something that you've incorporated into your menu that you know besides the deviled ham thing? Uh, you know, from any of the episodes, you say, you know what? That actually came out really good. Why don't we incorporate uh, something the, like that into the restaurant? 
it was um crispy pork belly with parsnip puree and sherry caramelized onions and something else. Oh my gosh, that sounds that amazing. Was on the menu. That's, yeah, that was really good. That sounds so good. How once you, you get through with these uh, the competitions, is it hard to go back to daily life in the kitchen, or do you prefer no. it? No, I prefer that. I don't like sitting around. <laughs> There's a tell. whole bunch of like we used to sit at uh, in a room, and it was called chef holding. So we like actually a couple of us took a picture of all of us holding each other in front of it, <laughs> holding. Um, <laughs> Sounds like they're just corralling you like a bunch of cattle or something. Yeah, and we just had to sit in the room, and then we'd come out, we'd shoot like some intro, and then we'd have to go back and sit in the room for three hours. Oh, oh like, I just don't like. Oh my god, that 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 yeah. ab- sounds absolutely boring. Yeah, and then so you have that, and then you have to sit around eating craft services, which is a bunch of fucking corn nuts and <laughs> Nutri-Grain bars. This is what they serve a bunch of chefs. Are you on kidding? Shows. Oh my! Oh, no, that's all that was on there. <laughs> oh my god! I know. You, that's in, that's insulting. I. Know. <laughs> we've got hey, we've got a bunch of these chefs. Half of them have won James Beard Awards. Some of them may have yeah. a Michelin star. Here's some corn yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So speaking of that, now, is there? Do you have a, a guilty go-to? That's because I know not every meal is going to be, you know, Iron Chef quality, five star. Is there something? Maybe it's a restaurant locally, or or just a dish that you like to make at home that's just total guilt that you um, wouldn't dare possibly serve it ever serve at your restaurant. Well, I literally never cook at home because oh. <laughs> I cook at the restaurant. I cook at home on Christmas Day. That's it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, I might do something here and there, but I typically am at the – because it's a bar, so I'm there from – you know, yeah. I'm not there during dinner time or anything. Um, like I could get there well, on you, fries. Like I was going to say, if you go out to, if you go out to eat, yeah, is there something that, that, that you're going to order that's just really down and dirty? You just – that you wouldn't serve – not because it's not good, just because it, it's maybe fast food or or um, nachos. Fast food. I don't eat fast food. I don't blame you. I serve nachos at the Belfry. I really am fond of my Greasy Spoon Diner, City Diner omelet that I get, and I just had this morning. Oh man, I love. Yeah. I, I'm, I used to live in New Jersey, and that's the, one of the things I miss about that is the diners because we don't really have any good diners in my area, so. Yeah, it's got to be. And this diner's like the real deal diner that's been there for like 70 years. Oh, kind of diner. That's awesome. That is There's awesome. pictures of like Marilyn Monroe and James Dean up on the thing, like that kind of place. <laughs> yes. Right? And everything's like shiny and like that weird yeah. blue color with this boomerang pattern, whatever the hell that is from the 50s. <laughs> I don't, like they look like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, I guess. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. So do you do you experiment much in the kitchen at the restaurant uh, when you're coming up with new items? Do you do anything weird that you say, hey, this this looks like something that would come out of Iron Chef or, or Top Chef Masters or something like that? Yeah, the menu at the Belfry now is like just so super casual. It's it's about as eclectic as you can get as a menu. So I have like some vegan dishes. So I've got a fried cauliflower with a walnut miso dressing. I've got a ramen on there. I've got a burger, which people argue is the best in the city. Uh, I have steak frites. Oh. I have like shrimp arancini. I mean, it, it literally is all over the place. Deviled eggs, meat cheese board. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Pretzels, because I'm from Philadelphia. So. Hey. <laughs> okay, so Pat's yeah. Reginos. 
Oh, hats. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. But I have to say, I'm not a Wizwit girl. I'm oh, just saying. Okay. I'm provolone onions all the way, man. See now, okay. So this is maybe something you can answer. You, you can I'd settle actually, for it. Out of Pats and Geno's, I'll say Pats, but I would prefer Jim Steaks. Okay. See, that's what that was. I've heard, you know, Next so question. people, people from outside, it's always Pats or Geno's. I've heard that that's not even the best cheesesteak and in, in, neither of those is the best. So no, no, not remotely. Where would you go for a good one? We're, we're going to give free publicity, I guess, to fill, something in Philly here. So Jim Steaks for sure. All right. And then the other one is actually this place and I, I, I don't even know if it still exists, but it did. I went to a boarding school in, in West Town. It's called West Town. Okay. And there was a place called Pepper Mill, and it was like a pizza cheesesteak place, and it was the best cheesesteak. Oh, wow. All right. So, so it was outside of Philadelphia. See, I, I have family up in that area still, so I'll, now I've, I've got to go check it out. My brother, he, he lives – we went to go see Neil Young a few years ago, and he's like, we're going to Philly to see Neil. We got to go to Pat's. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. We, we used to live in New Jersey, but we would go to Philly, and as soon as we got to Philly, we'd see the, we'd see whatever concert we were going to see, and then get the hell out. And then, so we never spent a whole lot of time. So when we finally got enough money to go and spend, hey, let's go have some dinner and actually do this right, my brother's like, all right, we're going to Pat's. So like, okay, so next show we go to, we're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna either see if the Peppermills open or we're gonna go to Jim's, based on your recommendations. So if yes. my brother, don't, if if we don't like it, I'm blaming you. Okay. All right. I will. I will take that. <laughs> do you, now? Do you do anything weird? I know a lot of times on on some of the, the cooking shows, you'll see guys do weird techniques, like using nitrogen and and I don't know, we, just weird ass shit. Do you do, I you mean, do any? I don't, I don't do liquid nitrogen or any of that stuff. I that you stuff know, scares me. I'm I'm just kind of a. I mean, I've done spherification and all that kind of stuff, and put stuff in calcic and whatever. Yeah. But like but, somebody <laughs> one time, I'm, I'm just kind of like I'm a purist. Okay. I, mean, I don't like mixing things that don't belong. Like the thought of wasabi and mashed potatoes just hurts my brain. <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of thing, I just yeah. would never consider doing. Um, but that's me. There's not to say there's anything wrong with it. Right. So, but um, so one time, this was, I had a sous chef. He's like, chef, we should totally like. This is when we had all the chemicals to do the spherification and all that. Yeah. Like, well, we should take caviar and make a paste out of it and then spherify it. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Nature, the fish already did that. <laughs> it's the perfect spherified thing in the freaking world is caviar. Yeah. What are you talking about? You're going to mash it up into a paste and then redo what it's already done perfectly. Wait, so I was like, see, this thing is not like for me. That's just not what I do. Oh my <laughs> God. Make any sense. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, let's let's take something completely screwed up and then try to make it exactly the way it used to be. That was one thing. Or you have like kids that they're like they want to spherify something. It's like, well, can you make a perfect and delicious chicken stock? Once you can do that, then spherify that perfect chicken stock. Now Ooh, we're talking. There you go. Right? But but like until you can make a perfect chicken stock and a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> Don't talk about spherifying anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's your advice, everybody. Start off with the basics. Get that yes. down before you go Always. crazy. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I know I've kept you quite a while here. And I, I know you're, you're kind of on schedule with your daughter's bands and all. I wanted to throw oh, something. Cool. What time is it? Uh, yeah, I'm we, good. Whatever you want to do. I'm all good. right. 
Because I had an idea, and I wanted to run it by you and see what you thought about this. Because you you have experience at cooking on TV. And I did another podcast, and uh, one of the co-hosts, uh, two of the co-hosts are out in L.A., and one, one's this producer for Comedy Central. And I threw this out, and he thought this was a really cool idea. And I wanted, since I now, you and I are like best friends now. I wanted He's to like this man exactly, <laughs> <laughs> like peas in a pod or whatever a good food equivalent is. analogy. All right, so I wanted to throw this out because I want your opinion since you have experience in this world. I had an idea of taking a sh- a chef and a comedian and sending them internationally, going to France or China or or anywhere outside the U.S. Going to one of their restaurants that serves their, their version of American, I gotta do air quotes so you can actually see, American food. Yeah. <laughs> Ripping that to shreds comedically, then cooking the, the, re, the, the American version the way we would cook it, and seeing if local people prefer the, the, the American version. Or the foreign countries, American, America, yeah, yeah, the foreign, the foreign version of American food, or the American version of American food, and see which one they prefer. Well, I like it, and it could be funny as long as we're not insulting to their culture, right? Anyway, no, exactly, uh, exactly. And there'd be no arrests because we're doing something weird. Okay, right? that's a there's. Depending on which to, <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta do a little research. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Don't ever put your feet up in Thailand. Really? No. I didn't know yeah. that. I, yeah, I know spitting was bad. Feet. See? Wow. Yeah. I, okay, so research is key. Yeah. All right. So if it could it, be fun, but you know, it would be interesting to see if the the locals would actually like the real deal better. Exactly, and that's that's what I wanted to see, and I, I thought that'd be a great idea. So I'm gonna throw that out there. If you're in, I'm gonna. Throw, I'm throw it out to my buddy Tommy. Say I got I know a chef. She's pretty good. She might be interested, and he knows a couple comedians, so we can get you hooked up with like Jim Jeffries or something. Have you guys fly to Beijing or something and do hot dogs? Never been to Beijing. <laughs> See, there you go. I've never been. <laughs> you know, you guys can do like hot dogs or something. Their their menu. They've got some weird stuff on there. I'm sure that's. Cause I know you go to like McDonald's internationally, and they have their local stuff, and they do weird stuff to burgers. So I was thinking. So, so that's funny. So I was in Italy, and this is one of those things that they, I don't even understand. So we're driving through Tuscany, switch back after switch back, and in a you know a manual car, and you're like, uh, oh yeah, uh, back and forth. I'm like, <laughs> I am now fucking green, like totally green. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up. That's how bad I feel. Oh, no. We finally get down the hill. I'm like, please stop. We've got to go get some like bread or a bag of chips, something. I need something. We go in there. There's a whole Pringles rack, right? Okay. It's all empty except for the fucking pizza flavored ones. Oh. Why do they sell pizza flavored <laughs> Pringles in Italy? Why is that even a thing? That is amazing. So, this is one of those things. It's like it's what are they? What are they thinking? Obviously, Italians are thinking the same thing because they're not buying them, right? I mean, <laughs> that was the only one Why left. Why would I order this? Yeah, exactly. Wait a second. This is garbage pizza flavored uh, shit. Why am I eating this? Oh God! That- no bueno. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I I really do appreciate everything. It's been a blast talking with you. I try not to send you any more, you know, weird texts and stuff. But- <laughs> 
they make for they make for funny conversations. <laughs> <laughs> if I can ever get out to KC, I'm definitely stopping by. Let me know for sure. I'll make sure that this uh, wild turkey diamond is uh, ready for you. Thank you. And if you ever come out to DC, let me know because I can't cook for you, but I know a couple good restaurants. Well, if I go to DC, we're meeting at Jack Rose. Yo, there you go. I've never been. <laughs> I've never. <laughs> See, you like bourbon? You haven't been there? I, I'm on a budget. <laughs> Fair enough. DC Fair enough. is a bit... DC is always expensive because every time I go, it's there's five of us. So Yeah. Yep. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.